You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We've got the kiln fired up. We've got the furnace prepped. We're about to unsheath the laser fire of Tyra. Yes, Rizcha de Raisa is coming your way. But first, if you own a retail business and accept credit cards, your customers are getting points, miles, and all sorts of rewards every time they use their card. And you're paying the price. That's why NRS Pay, a product of National Retail Solutions, a division of the IDT Corporation, offers its cash discount program, FeeBuster. You can start accepting credit cards for free. If your business processes over $18,000 a month, you pay no monthly fee and $0 out of your pocket for transaction. This means you, as a retailer, can enjoy the benefits of accepting plastic and your customers still get those crucial miles they crave and need. NRS Pay FeeBuster provides every client with a free credit card reader with no long-term contract, no early termination fee, cancel anytime without a penalty. I'm personally familiar with this company and they truly stand by their product and they'll help you with live stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Visit nrspay.com or call 833-289-2767 to learn more about NRS Pay and the fantastically fair fee buster. If it's the 15th of Sivan, this must be Rizchadaisa. We're still in the Shiva, uh, Rabbi Yosef, of the last Godel, I guess, the last of the Godel from the Dor HaKodom. Rav Gersh, Rav Gershon Edelstein, actually Yerachmiel Gershon Edelstein, but known almost universally by his second name, Rav Gershon Edelstein. And I feel bad, uh, Rav Yosef, after spending the last couple of days, or at least the last day and a half, looking into Rav Gershon and his writings for the way we sort of uh, mistreated him a little bit after Walder. Um, I'm not sure if they really came from Gershon Edelstein or not. However, I think we need to at least begin talking about someone who I'm going to say now, I, 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 I can't say it in a definitive way, but someone who left the halal. Well, you tell him, but since you seem to have done a lot of uh, research into him um, and uh, you seem to know a great deal more about him than I do. So why don't you tell us his life history and then tell us something about his sheetas? Well, again, I'm going to preface what I'm saying with, look, both of us were very aware who Rav Chaim Kanievsky were. Both of us, I think, had a, a good sense of Rosh Fisher and other G'dayle Yisrael who have been nifter. We we sort of, we either interacted with them, we knew them, we read their svarim. I, I say in advance that this was a, a karka shena harusha by me. It was mamish brand new virgin territory to find out who Rav Gershon was. And that's despite the fact that over the past year, he has been the voice or the face of Haredi leadership. I think both of us would say that, well, you know, after Chaim died, after Steinman died, so he's the last, the oldest of that door. And it was sort of like, uh, who knows? You know, but, but I think after reading about him, and again, hagiographic type of descriptions abound after a person dies, I am extremely impressed. Let's first just say the fact, let's talk about his longevity. Let's talk about the fact that he started giving shiurim to play Teashoya. Rav Kahneman gave him that, that shteller in about 1947 or 48, uh, se- almost 76 years, 75 total years of, of giving over shiurim within the Ponovich umbrella. And he was, that itself is, is incredible. 
Now we all, everybody. I think the whole world saw the pictures of him in the hospital uh, preparing shear, and it seems like he never missed his shearim. Now, one of the reasons I had a hard time discovering things about him from my American friends who weren't in Ponovich was because when they went to Ponovich, they were not placed in his shear because they were older. So many people didn't really know. And he kept at that shear. He wasn't like people that we're familiar with who decide, well, now that I'm Rosh Hashiva, you're going to give that lower shear. He well, stayed. Gave a shear quality? I'm sure he gave a shear quality. True, but he gave his regular blot shear to those first-year base madrash guys for 70 years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, again, that is incredible. Again, so well, let's say, especially once he got the, the official position, and that itself is something that's amazing. The Mesiras Nefesh that, again, we talk about Rav Chaim's Chiyuvim. Rav Chaim, I've got to do my learning. i got to do my learning. Well, that's a lot different when you're giving over to others and you realize it has to be done. In the hospital, Despite the fact that I, I think he had Baro Pavarsky and his son-in-law taking the regular shear, he had seven or eight guys, the pictures were accurate, of giving shear up until the day he died. Even the day of his death, he was somehow, I don't know if he had the notes, he was preparing his notes in order to give a shear. I don't know what Masecht it was. And this itself, as as, as Baruch Mordechai Ezrahi pointed out at the Hespid, is something that's Ein Lashire, right? It's that no matter what, I think that itself needs to be commented on. Now, you'll say, with the Shiurim great? Well, I can tell you, there is has been a lot printed, especially, I think, in the 20-something years since his Rebetzin passed away. His Talmidim have really taken upon themselves to being Mefarsim, his Shiurim. Now, in two different ways. There's the Shiur itself, and there's the Maramakimus that he uses to form the basis of the Shiur. I was able to discover uh, a whole series of shiurim and marimakoimas for those shiurim. And I think what they show you is a very glata tfisa on sugis in a way that isn't gribble awry into small things, a, a, a wonderful understanding of the lumdus. And I think here's what I want to say in a new fashioned formulation. It isn't just something a la Binas Daniel, and I'm sorry, Rav Leierfeld and others, where it's sort of the same Lomdesh sort of recycled. He actually articulates it, at least his Talmidim did, in a way that I think has a, t- a tinge of the modern understanding. Another thing I'd like to say yeah, is well, that, Give me an example of that. I'm child, what, what, well, for example, in Sanhedrin. In Sanhedrin, when he talks about uh, Kiddush HaChadosh, he goes into the into great detail about the Cheshbonus of, of the Moivad. He explains it well. And if that's what was happening in the Shir, again, along with the Lumdus of what you need the Kiddush HaBezdin to be, along with what is it that the Maisa Bezdin is for, what's the difference between the Chishuv, what's the difference between the Psak Din, he, he is able, I think, in a way, to somewhat modernize things, at the same time, you can tell he doesn't want to get stuck in the mud. He wants to push things forward. I, I can't say it's the beautiful perfection that is Rashmur Razovsky Shirim, but it's definitely it, it, it has elements of that. It has elements of a certain elegance of what he's trying to do. In so fact, so he had that Rashmurazovsky. So it's a, 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 it's somehow watered down Reb Shimon. Was older, yeah, an older Baal But but what what his Talminim have done have sort of have, have put out a thousand page safer in Lumdus based on the Yisoidus that 
they were macabre from Rav Gershon. And I think that tells you something. The, uh, the, the extent that he was connected to his students, who he would only receive when they were 17, and they would go on to the Koyo, etc. He, as Rosh Hashiva, but as I think a real good human being, was connected to them throughout their lives. And I read, uh, you know, he was, he seemingly was the go-to person, Nebuch, by Hespedim and Levias. And uh, there's a number of uh, Svarim that were on Nebuch dedicated to young children, uh, young, younger light that have passed away. No, all this is beautiful, but this doesn't explain the, the qualities which made it the Mani Gador. Okay, well, it's wait, a fine Magid Shir. We probably have many fine Magid Shir in Christ, including Rabbi Avra. Abraham Kivalevich, where he'd been Zaycha to give his shear and Yeshiva Gedaila somewhere. He certainly would have given his shear on a par with any Rosh Yeshiva which we have today. Okay, thank you for the compliment undeserved. Okay, but, so you're not going to let door. What makes but here's my point that he bring, he he brought to it not the same sort of like 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 single-minded un misunderstanding that you sometimes got from Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Well, I said we have to put down Rav Chaim Kanievsky in order to make. No, it no, I'm not. What I'm saying is Rav Chaim basically had one way, which was it was like pure Torah, and uh, as I state, you can't go any, you can't do it any different. With Rav Gershon, there was an elasticity involved. It, it was, and, and and my point, what I'm saying is, for example, he uh, you're, was, not, you're not clarifying anything at all. I am going to clarify now. He would say. For example, that a bocher, a, a, a rebbe, is mechuyev to cater the learning to the geshmak of the Talmud. He was well, always. Anybody would say that. No, but if, nobody would say differently. Who would say differently? No, the briskers wouldn't say that. The, the, right? The, the, the briskers are not mechanchim. Any mechanic, any Talmud of Chazanish would say that. Okay, so you're right. Maybe he's just a good mechanic. I found the fact that he was elastic in terms of understanding. And also with a, he he also like Rav Shach before him and others did not want the guys to become depressed by just chewing over the same material. He definitely wanted people to push the hekif in order to get stuff going. And even though he understood that you'd be coming back to it again, this is uh, hopefully with Ramel Kibalevich was a market share. In, even in part of the same attitude, okay. sounds like you're, you're, he needs your askama, you're giving him your askama, which is very one nice. Of his, one, of, one of the places I said, there was uh, who lost a 14-year-old child. And he writes movingly about what the Taimani experience was. And he's able to describe it uh, with a tremendous passion and feeling about what the struggle was and the Mesiras Nefesh of the Taimani Gola. And I thought that was very, very impressive. And it, it gave a lot of chizuk. He, he didn't just say, now you're part of Podovich, everything is whitewashed. There were people like who basically wanted everybody to be part of a certain pigeonhole and a certain cookie cutter thing. He understood that that, that was not the way he ran the yeshiva. It's not the way he wanted the yeshiva to work. He was a, a, a person who was extremely modest. And that you see throughout. Talk about Taimani was a Talmud in Panovich. Right. So, in other words, and what and, happened? What happened exactly? So he lost his child, and the, he wanted to be. He wanted to put out a sefer of Chidushe Torah his fourteen-year-old child. Okay. So Rav Gershon has three or four pieces, not only in Chidushim, but uh, Hesped and Hisayrus about the chizik that he gave to this young man. 
And speaking about the Temani Gola, speaking about what they had gone through, speaking about his grandfather, there were things there that you don't necessarily hear from your typical, you know, okay, it was like the typical platitudes. There was there was research involved. And I saw that in the Shtikl on Kiddush HaChodesh as well. He took the time, you know, you've spoken about this, Sugya, yourself. He took the time to understand the Metzius and to help his Talmidim uh, understand it. Allah HaChazanish and others. So I think that in terms of just let's start off as a machanach, he was incredible. And it was and the fact that the Rabbani Shalom gave him that kayach and he was so mustered to it. Now, let's talk about, you want to say about a manig. Okay, so how did he become to be a manig? Like, how did Rav Gershon Edelstein become the manig? Other than the fact that everybody else is dead. So it turn, it, it seems like a lot of it has to do with the Din Tyran Ponovich about who is the head of Ponovich Yeshiva, right? And how does that whole thing work? And who is the head of the biggest Yeshiva in the world? So, all right, without getting too heavily involved in that, I, I think with Rebel Yashiv's Ptira, there was a certain understanding that there was going to be like a three-headed Hanhoga. Nice. And that was going to be Rav Steinman, Rav Gershon Edelstein, and Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Now, it's it's clear that Rav Steinman had a certain level of, of, of like Lamala Minateva Sidkis and aspects of him that made him sort of like a, 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 a what, like the way Rabbi Yaakov was for us and, and with a certain element of the Chabetz Chaim. And, and Rabbi Chaim, the senior of the three. He was the senior, that's true. But he also had a certain impish like aspect and 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 and, and incredible. So I don't think Rav Gershon did. So Rav Chaim. It's Rav Chaim, right? And therefore, Rav Gershon was sort of like like shunted in the background, and you sort of know we had to have him too. But the truth is, is that I don't think Rav Gershon was interested in the money. I don't know if he's shunted in the background. I don't think he was interested. The fact that he was there, he was pushed to the front. Blaz Bayer after after Rabbi Steinman's nifter. So he already started, even before Steinman's death, he was already commenting and people were coming to him. For okay, example. Because, uh, you, know, you go to who's ever left, but I don't think he was looking to be a money. I don't think he was ever looking to be a money. Even in his okay. last years, I think that the, he much rather was, uh, would be happy saying sheer and people came to him for opinions and he had no choice but to give them, but that was not what he wanted to be. Okay, so I don't think, he's, I don't think he moved the ball further on any topic. Okay, so we know that he did. And this was the thing that was like trumpeted a lot about Rev Gershon. Every single person I called in Eretz Israel mentioned this first. Everyone mentioned first the what he said, the Shiloh that was very Nogea, which is the kids that are going off the derech. And they are going to off the derech to the extent that they are demanding and asking or demanding from their parents that they help support their derech whether it was cigarettes to smoke on Shabbos or miniskirts for the girls uh, to dress in. And they came to Rav Gershon about, is now the time to kick this kid out? Is now the time to say, it, from the, you see what's going on, the lack of Akaras HaTayv, the fact that Teichacha isn't working, the fact that, they are, that they're going to be Machal Shabbos in front of you, the fact that they're going to be so parrots, they're going to be Mashpia Ra on the rest of the family. Rav Chaim said that if they're going to be Mashpia against the rest of the family, then you have to worry about the rest of the family. Rav Gershon... He didn't say because he said to cut them off? Again, we'd have to check it out. Rav Gershon didn't have any sort of Avchana like that. Rav Gershon said you cannot in any way, distance them. You should give, even though you know they're using it for the miniskirt, for the cigarette, that they will dress 
crossed in the street in front of you and your wife and smoked a cigarette on Shabbos, you give them the money. You do what you can. You do what you can to keep them in the fold. You speak with them. You show them love completely. And this was a psaac that he was, there was a tremendous, there was pushback on that. He was told to be chayzer from it. He did not. Similarly, in the same sort of tkufa, which was about 10 or 11 years ago, and it might have been a little bit even longer than that, he was asked about chilonim in the army. And as we mentioned off pod, as of before we started recording, he compared them to the Harugay Lud, who were willing to take upon themselves uh, the uh, admission of guilt when Tyrannus's daughter was killed, and he wanted to uh, exact collective punishment against a whole group of Claudius, or a whole city. They said, we did it in order to save lives. Rev. Gershon said that what made them worthy of the mantle that they're on this highest level is the fact they're willing to die for other Jews. They're willing to save more Jews, even though for their death to save a greater number of Jews. He felt that many, many uh, soldiers in the army had exactly this feeling, despite the fact that they were Mechali Shabbos, despite the fact that they were openly saying they didn't believe in God or whatever it was, they they still had the Madrega of Harugelud and but he went even further. When they said to them, they said, oh, this is just some sort of puffed up patriotism. They call it Zionism and national nationalism. He says, nationalism, shmashnalism. It's Avas Yisrael. It's Avas Odom. And they might in their mind call it uh, a devotion to a certain patriotic, uh, socialistic ideal or whatever it is, but it's Novea from Avas uh, Klal Yisrael. And therefore, once again, there was pushback uh, for against this, and Rav Gelshin stayed firm on it. I think, again, in the Wikipedia article that I read, it sounded like uh, at one time in the middle of the shear, some bulvanim came in and started being mafsik the shear and being mavazahim. There was another time that as he was walking to the yeshiva, somebody threw a container of leban on him. It was in the yeshiva. In the base medrash, it was in the base medrash. Yeah, what the when they threw the web in at him? Yeah, yeah, they came to say she in the base medrash. And I, I am sure that a lot of it was based on these shittas. No, it was based on the bechabling by the sonim and the punavich. You don't you think it all was about the inner interesting yeah. machlokes? Yeah, yeah. It was the Markovich. It was the Markovich people. Yeah, 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 yeah. In other words, with this, who says you should be the rosh hashiva? Right. In other words, he, I think at that point he he retreat, he withdrew from saying she in the base matters. He went somewhere else. Right. He went into one of the shuls there, and he also made shalom. He said, "Okay, you guys can have the base matters yeah. for Shabbos and Yontif. We're going to dive in in some other shul." Right. He definitely seemed to be the bigger person in this in this. Uh, for sure. Yes, it seems that way. We don't know exactly what's going on, but it certainly seems that way to me. I would agree. But it's not because of his. It's not because it's not because not, of his. No, were, these are not Pelic people. These are. This is the. Uh, okay, the but don't you think this? These are the statements of a manig. I believe. Well, so, so. what you're saying, these are things that Rav Shach would never have said. Of course not. So therefore, you think that some progress away from the position Rav Shach has been taken. Yes, and I think it's it's. So it's, it's, made, I'm very skeptical because I don't disagree with you, but I, I think that Klaiusro uh, will never go back to the pre-Rav Shach. Look, but but if these 
wrong-minded liberals in Eretz Yisrael would hear what Rav Gershon said about their soldiers and hear that this was the leader of the Haredi world said about them, don't you think that would calm some of the anger and understand that maybe you've got them wrong? That well, maybe- interestingly enough, I just saw today that the angel people went to be Menachem Ovel family. So yeah, I guess that when they knew, found out who Rabbi Edelstein was, perhaps after he was Nifter, they realized their mistake, which, is, uh, which may well be the case. I don't think anybody's ever going to heal the rift between Degel Atoira and uh, Agudah Sisrael. So I'm not sure Haredi is ever going to be a leader who's ever going to overcome that quote-unquote, and I say it with heavy uh, um, quote-unquote uh, rift which Rav Shach created, uh, accomplishment which Rav Shach created. Well, why don't you tell our listeners about that? Well, we know that Rav Shach decided that Agudah was not a, a mo- movement of any worth whatsoever. He decided that it's just a this point in history, it's just a political party which gets more money, gets more money for the causes which it represents, and that the yeshivas get more money independently. So therefore, we're going to make our own movement, Degel Torah, and uh, which was composed have, of basically the Bnei Brak Rosh Yeshivas. Well, I think Heaven is also part. Heaven too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Slabotka was there. Well, the next Gorador is supposed to be from Slabotka. I don't know very well. Of Dave Landau, he was actually the second Masbid. After after the CEO of the yeshiva, I think it was Rav Kahaneman. I don't know if he's the grandson of uh, of, yeah. of the Rav, Rav Floyd Kahaneman's grandson. Yeah. So he was the first Mosbid, and after that, you had Dov Lando was the was the Mosbid. I guess you're right. That's sort of like the indicating who the heir apparent. He actually was very against the the Dov Lando. One of my cousins sent me a letter. He wrote Bishaito. He was very against the, the period between Daglatera and Agudas Yisrael. Mm-hmm. I don't think he could be able to repair it, but he was very against it at the time. Look, you 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 make a good point that you know until the Petira, let's say Rebel Yoshev and uh you know Rav Gershon Edelstein was although you know he had spent many he was still at that time a Zokin, uh he had was mostly involved in the yeshiva. And to call him a manig, other than the thousands of students that he had, and maybe you know, tens of thousands of students he had, you're right, would be would be a misnomer. But I think that there's enough that has been uh, distributed about him. And let me just say one other thing. Even if it's only to the, let's say, the Jungalite of Klau Yisro, his is for Shalom Bias. I spoke it out to my wife, and we had a, another a, a person who was at our house on Shabbos. And, you know, his Hanhoga of Shtoik Uachabed, that you have to basically be Makabo everything. And that even, you know, and, and that when you raise your voice, that when you get involved, it, it actually generates uh, such a terrible effect consistently with your other interpersonal relations that that there isn't this. And what he said also, I thought beautifully, he said, you can have a Farfrumta Yeshiva guy who, because he wants to be Makbid on Bittel Teira and Loshan Hara, doesn't speak at all. And then he gets married and he has a family. And he wants to be so mocked, but the only thing he wants to say when he comes home is some sort of Torah which is unrealistic. And therefore, he distances the rest of his family. He says the family needs him. The, the boys and girls, and especially his wife, need him to be a talker, to be a listener. And if he's going to sit there like a farfrumtil, that he doesn't want to hear anything, and that the only thing that you can talk about in the table is davke divrei Torah, 
and it, it has to be this. And if the and if his wife wants to talk about the difficulties that she had getting to the IKEA and what's going wrong with the Mazgan, whatever it is, he's got to listen. He's mechuyev to. He says that, that and, and and to do otherwise is to be nishkan mensch. To me, that is a pleasant uh, surprise to hear. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know if it's such a surprise. I think that there's a certain Edelkite and Chain, which led the uh, last three Manhigim, all of them, Rabbi Steinman, Rabbi Kanievsky, and Rabbi Edelstein, all had. And I think that they were very simple and uh, popular because of their, uh, they were very simple in their Anhogas, very popular to the people because they had a Chain of the simplicity and the um, the calmness and the empathy which they had. And the Seychelles which they had. And what's interesting, though, is un- unlike Rav Chaim, when I would see Rav Gershon describe the reasons for his Hanagas, consistently quoting Sifrei Musar, consistently quoting Chayvus Alvavos, Basilis Yisharim, and I'm very happy about this because it's one of my favorites. Of course, is uh, is the is the Shari Chuva from Beno Yaina, and he he had he was an expert in all of these forum, and he and he used that as the basis. For so much of his advice, and it was great. It's great to hear that, uh, as opposed to like an asceticism that is way beyond. Look, we talk about the Gerachsidim and their asceticism. This is Mirochik Misr Chumarov. The two, they're very different types of asceticism. There's asceticism which has a chain, whereas the Geras has no chain whatsoever. And it comes with giving chius and and a sense of. Uh, humanity to the other party. It comes mm-hmm. from understanding the Bistro Salanter aspect of Musser. You and I have, have talked on this program how Musser is a dream and a cholam, and nobody really does it. Rav Gershon Edelstein seems to have, in his life, been able to be Mishalev, Mamishta, the real Yisod of Slabotka Musser within his Hanog of learning. And I think that's something which I wasn't aware of. You know, Rav Chaim, of course, was not into the Sifrei Musar. He was into every, you know, every Rishon who spoke, in, but just because he was a Rishon. Whereas it seems Rav Gershon Edelstein really was was from the Echta Echta Bali Musar. Uh, look, let me just talk about his story for a second. I, I felt a connection to his story because, as you know, my mother was born in Soviet Russia. And my mother, because of the efficacy of the Soviet system, really knew nothing about Yiddishkeit. She, although my grandmother tried her best in teaching her things and running a, a, a secret minion on Shabbos and Yontif, and only Yom Neroyim, basically she was totally fried by the system. Uh, and, you know, had the had World War II not occurred, had my father not ended up dropping into their house, you know, she definitely, you know, would not have, she, not, she would probably not have, Achlal, had any connection to, to, to Shemir Samitzvah's. Gershon Edelstein, Shemyats was the name of the city where his father was the Rav, was a city in Russia. He was born in 1923, Mamish after the, the Soviets had, had power, and yet he was able to, to learn, to develop. And it, here's the great thing about it. Oh, he also has had the Shaykhs to, the, 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 the to Rav Kook, right? Okay, so Rav Kook, was, Rav, Rav, Rav Kook got him to Eretz Yisrael at age 11, but here's the thing, and that's again the great schus of of Rav Kook. Who's older? He and his brother, the Rav of Rav. So Rav he Rav. was older than than Rav Yankif, right? He was older than Rav Yankif. But both of them were learning. So what I want to point out: it was the secret Chabad network of Rabbeim and Talmidim that he, that kept him 
uh, uh, within the fold. And that's really incredible. In, in, in the cities that he was in, when they had, to, when his mother had typhus and she, they were sent away to the aunt and uncle, it was the Chabad Mechanech. So this is really, again, a glorious you story. Know any affinity he had the Chabad as opposed to Rav Shach? So I was wondering about that. I was wondering if, for example, in you know the Chabad publications, are they going to point? I mean, they, they never miss an opportunity to, you know, <laughs> right? right? So are they pointing to Rav Gershon as we made this guy? You know, we because it seems like had it not been for the Chabad system that, that the Friedrich Rebbe was kept alive, or maybe who knows, whatever it was, whichever, you know, whatever energies it were, Rav Gershon and Rav would not have been kids that would have necessarily been Mamshech at Derech so I think it's a it's an incredible story. Now you're right, Rav Kook deserves a lot an incredible amount of credit because he learned with his grandfather. His grandfather, the original Yerachmiel Gershon Edelstein, the author of the the Ben Aryeh on Hago on Shas and, and, and other sugis, was a Velozhina. And he knew him from Velozhin. So, you know, he he was able to bring his fa- the father and children to Eretz Yisrael before uh, you know, obviously the Horbin Europe. But you know, again, I, I think it's 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 an incredible testament to to Chabad, and uh, I I would say that part of his Edelkeit and his understanding really came from those uh, those years, those years of of recognizing death in the family, recognizing difficulty, recognizing what it what it means to be Shemer Mitzvahs. I, I don't think I think his youth was a, a very strong impression on him. Even what Rav, Rav Kahneman understood that he should be metapa with the assignment, even though he Baruch Hashem had his father, but they understood that he was the type of person that could deal with people that were, that were coming from a world that was destroyed. I don't think he ever forgot that. And um, you know, I, I looked up while he's just speaking. I looked up on Chabadopedia about uh, Rav Gershon and uh, Taka. They take a lot of credit for it. Besides <laughs> okay. that, they say, despite the I'm translating from the Hebrew. Despite the, the bitter of opposition punch against Lubavitch, especially surrounding the elections of 1989 and the uh, background to them, which brought to the bitter opposition to Lubavitch and from the leaders of the Lithuanian stream at that time, you know, I don't think they ever mentioned his name. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he, the, he and Rav Aaron Cutler, Rav Shach and Rav Aaron Cutler are Muktzamach Masmias. I don't know. Rav Aaron gets mentioned because Rav Aaron was my, my uh, uncle's Rebbe, so they like saying, Arabaran was Machshiv as Rishochet. Yeah. So that, okay. yeah. I always hear them say Cutler. I always I always okay, hear them so, say Cutler all the time. Anyway, Rav Edelstein did not join in the uh, attacks on Chabad. When a certain Lubavitcher went in Panovich and would uh, distribute Likute Sikhs there, so the, the certain people did not allow it. So the father of this Bacher got in touch with Gershon Edelstein and he said that uh, the people who don't want to learn Likute Sikhus don't have to learn Likute Sikhus, but to rip them and prevent their distribution is improper. And therefore, Likute Sikhus continues to be uh, distributed in the yeshiva. And then uh, he used to meet with many Lubavitcher Rabbanim, including Cholomoy Pesach. He met with Rabbi Ezra Shochet, night, night Cholomoy Pesach last year, they, who, who, uh, who uh, holds him in his house. and. Spoken, they both spoke in the Torah together. That's so, your uncle. Uh, yep. So Lubavitch actually does say that there were significant um, 
Of course. I mean, and again, you know, with, without turning it into Lubavitch versus, you know, the rest of the the, the from world, I would say that he was Yoidik from Chabad and from the derech of the Chassidim, Rebbe's that he learned from, the Rabbeim that he learned from, a tremendous sense of, of you know, of, of that type of Abbas Yisrael that he, you know, that, that was really dripped from him. You know, I, you know, I turned to um, Rav Lozomer Taitz, who learned in Ponovich uh, in the early 50s. And of course, by that time, the legend of the yeshiva, so to speak, had already developed. I mean, it is an incredible story. I mean, six Bokhrim start the yeshiva. He's one of the six that the Rashmur Rizovsky came to his father's house and said, you know, we want you, the two boys, we want you and his very young Gershon to help start the yeshiva. And they built from those six, they built the greatest yeshiva in the world, let's say, you know, before everything started to fall apart. But both you and I know, when you were learning in, in Shalvim, and I was even learning in the mirror, we knew that Ponovich was the greatest. Ponovich was the pinnacle of, of yeshiva learning. It was the, the top yeshiva. Well, that was always a question, Hebron versus Ponovich. That's always been a question. All right, good. I know that you, you don't want to give in on Hebron, but Ponovich was... Uh, and both of them had their, uh, you know, sort of, you know, haughty aristocratic aspect to it. But okay, but Ponovich was, let's say, one and one A with Hevron. And here they are. It was built around that Yisod. And everybody knew, Rav Tite said that Rav Gershon, who was still young at that point, you know, was just a 30-year-old man, was one of the people that helped start the yeshiva. And he told me that, personally, he talked about how the wonderful Midas that he had, this how soft-spoken he was. He was so not aggressive, uh, Rav Edelstein. He was surprised that he had the mantle of one of the Rishi Yeshivas. But he said he was able to have, uh, he viewed, uh, he saw in the 1950s, a, 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 an incredible uh, Chavaya, incredible uh, thing that he saw. He was the Baltikeya till last Rosh Hashanah. Even last Rosh Hashanah at 99 and a half, he was, he was, care, wow. he was still blowing the shoifer on Yom Naroyim. And, uh, and this was... Uh, his... <laughs> yes, well, we blow a lot of hot air. I think we're probably going to be blowing... <laughs> we're going to be blowing a lot of hot air for a long At 99, we'll still be blowing hot air. <laughs> but his, his blowing of the shoifer, whether it was as strong as it used to be, the fact that he kept on doing it, and this very slight person from the 1950s for 70 uh, years... To be the Baltikeya in Ponovich. That's incredible. But during one of those early years, there was a brisker who came, who was uh, at the, uh, was in the yeshiva, and he wanted Edelstein to blow Tkias again uh, because he felt he wasn't Yoitzin. And Edelstein, even though it was clear to almost everyone there, Edelstein went and did it and blew it for that person. And Rav Tite said, whenever someone came to him afterwards with some sort of draco trai that hey, there wasn't enough, there weren't, there wasn't Tisha Kailas, oh, it, the 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 shvarim wasn't long enough, Rav Edelstein would blow again. And Rav Tite said he knew because he had counted it. It was zikhar hundred percent mahudar betachos ahidar. But Rav Edelstein, instead of like, and you can imagine other Eretz Yisrael would come and say, hey, okay, Avek, this was different for me. Yeah, here, take the shayfer and blow. But he would, again, without putting down the other person, he would go ahead and, 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 and let that person have a sense that he was correct and Rav Gershon was going to be his, his Evid. So I would say that, that, that I'm extremely impressed by 
that type of persona. Uh, a persona that, unfortunately, I think, uh, uh, you know, Rav Yitzhak is right, and the others who said this is a halal. It isn't just he's the last, and that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's wrong to say, oh, he's the last old man left from the generation. Oh, oh, somehow he lived, and now there's none, nobody's left from that golden era. That's also true, that this was an incredible era, this B'nai Brak era that produced Rav Steinman, that produced Rav Chaim Kanyevsky, that produced of Gershon and all these other incredible Kep who were so involved in learning. But I think there is something unique and special about him. And I would say it's a chaval that he wasn't, he, he didn't get, he wasn't pushed into prominence even earlier. Because, you know, in some ways, I think he uh, could have been a, a very nice ad and a compliment very much Rav Steinman. You know, Rav Steinman, <laughs> Rav Steinman was 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 a very you know Rav Steinman's humor was was incredible, and uh, his maise tzitkis of what he would do for you know to like were 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 incredible. The fact that he gave brachas to the Chazanish, but there's a certain sort of normality, stability, understanding um, that I see from Rav Gershon that I, again, without in any way dismissing Rav Chaim and Rav Aaron Leib. I, I, it's a shod that he was not, he did not have that prominence earlier. And maybe you're right. You know, again, he was Rosh Hashivas. He didn't, but Tizichri Baruch, I think, uh, you know, I'm going to try to work more on his, uh, his Torah this week. And Mr. Uh, look forward on the platform. And again, let me put in another plug over here. Look, we, we, we we're trying our best. Rabbi Yosef, myself, and everybody else that's part of it. We do this as Rabbi Yosef says, without any, uh, cash compensation for many of the talent, many of much of the talent that's here. But in order to really bring people, in order to perhaps gain, get talent to be involved, in order to really upgrade the program uh, in terms of research and everything else that's involved, we can definitely appreciate any sort of support that you feel that you would be willing to, to give for us. You need to contact me at ravkiv at gmail.com, R-A-V-K-I-V at gmail.com. You can also contact Rabbi Yosef through his blog spot or other things, and he will forward it on to me. And we can tell you how you can be a supporter, a supporter of <laughs> an institution, basically, uh, the, our podcast, which is a tax-free charity institution recognized by the state and federal government. So that's it, I my friend. I want to end with two things. First of all, I put this on screen for you to look at. The, obviously, they're starting raise with Dov Lando because he just left and after left the Shabbos in America, flying on the private plane of Shimon Glick. So I, I oh, I'm very disturbed. I don't, you know, I'm sure Dov Lando is a tremendous and Sadiq, but. I don't like this private plane business. It's always, you know, tachlis, uh, luxury. Um, uh, I started to think about time, and also they put them on a private plane. I'm sure they have nothing to do with it, the Russian sheep. I remember when I was once traveling there to solve the Shalvin many years ago. So the Gare Reb was on the plane. I, I was a young man. I didn't speak to him at the time, but he sat in the economy with three other Hasidim. So what did they do in the middle of the night when he wanted to go to sleep? So the three other Hasidim, they got up and they, they had let him lie down. On the on the bench, mm-hmm. so he had Kaviyachol a bed, right? And the, well, the other Chassidim went wherever they went. So uh, okay, you know, I, I, today I don't think that would pass for a, a Rosh Hashiva or a uh, Rebbe. Today they would have to be brought in uh, first class or private plane. And I don't know. It's a, a it's this uh, what, what, bo- what bother. In other words, what bothers you is that the images. I mean, had they not said anything about it, it wouldn't be so bad, right? 
Yeah, but he, you know, sitting, sitting there, they're publicizing this series, and it's, I don't know. I, here's the way I would say it a little bit better. The amount of money it cost to bring that plane, to take him in, how many B'nai Torah and how many Yungal Oramalite could have been Nisparnas? If Dave Lando knew that by taking this plane, there's going to be less tzedakah being given, that that money could have gone to be machazik yeshivas and 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 and, and almonas and yesoyimim. I agree with you. Obviously, air travel, as we all know, is 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 horrendous and horrible. And it could be poshut mitzad abrius. It might be he wouldn't have been able physically. So I'll don them that maybe mitzad abrius. I believe, by the way, the letters between him and Rav Chaim are very gishmak. Right? There's letters between him and, and Rav Chaim Kanievsky, which supposedly are Michtev Dovid or something like that, which I've tried to get a hold of. And I think, uh, I think, uh, I think it's sold out. You can't find it. But, but I understand that if, if anybody could hold his own a little bit with Rav Chaim, it is a Rav Lando. So, listen, like Alman Yisrael, who. Evidently, it took place in Asifa in April and another one tonight in Wells Fargo Arena. In Philadelphia, twenty-one thousand capacity, just to raise money for the Lakewood Quill. and it's um, called Adire Hatayra. It was a chasna for younger light, and the dance in this world, and uh, it's amazing just the, <laughs> how Lakewood has become the be-all and end-all of. Uh, of oh, I, I see uh, some of my friends here. Yitzchak, I see that uh, Kozlowitz. My old friend from Mir, I see he's uh, the uh, he's the senior Roshi Chabura. He's yeah, a, and uh, here with Laser Shiner, obviously he's become one of the other, uh, you know, Klai Yisrael and right. And here you have Rav Heineman, Rav Yosef Heineman, who I think is Ramosha's um, nephew. Look, David Shusto is obviously a tremendous Talmud Chacham and, and deserves it. But this is like this, somehow the raising of money for Lakewood has become inspiration, and you got to hand it to them. <laughs> Look, when you have a CEO, things are obviously done as a big business. Maybe Panovich as well is that way. Maybe maybe it doesn't work any other way. You have to if you can't beat him, join him. The only thing I would say, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're right. It's sort of by going so big, you're sort of indicating nobody else is worth anything, right? Right. This is what you have to sort of give to. This is all. All these people here are there for a fundraiser for Lakewood. By the way, somebody explained to me this week, this is why people, one of the reasons people don't go out of town into community calls anymore is because uh, Lakewood Coilos pay much more now. Lakewood Coilos pays much more because of events like, evidently because of events like this. Therefore, nobody has an incentive to go out of town. So you can't get people to go out of town anymore. Look, I, I think we could probably start a podcast dedicated to the Lakewood phenomena. The Lakewood yeah. phenomena, the Lakewood city the extension city of Lakewood, the yeshiva, the iterations of the yeshiva, the various yeshivas there. I mean, Lakewood, the fastest growing city in the United States. Don't you like this, this juxtaposition here? It's a very subtle message, right? In the world, in the Easter, the world champions, world champions, world champions on top, and then the Lakewood yeshiva on the bottom, right? The, uh, the crowd. All right. Okay. Very nice diuk. In other words, Rabbi Yosef is saying that from a certain perspective in the, in the upper seats, you can see that the stadium, they did not take down the sports banners of the various uh, Philadelphia 76ers or Philadelphia Flyers, right? 
whoever it is uh when they won the when they won the championship by the way it's been a while since they had won the championship the the 70s it was 1954 1955 so that takes you back to the glory years of lakewood maybe that's the reason it's there right 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 yeah, you're right. That's when that's when Lakewood was that's when Lakewood was the was this small, you know, incredible place. By the way, very beautifully described by Ethan Cobry uh in his uh book Greatness, um, based on the um actual Zachroinus of your former mentor in a way, uh Rafiel Pear, who describes the way things were <laughs> the way things were in Lakewood in those days. So you know, it is it is quite wonderful to hear about how these places started so small, so modest, so Urim, the way Punovich and Lakewood, and now of course, uh, you know, you throw Mir in there as well. I was learning about Lau's autobiography on Shabbos. They barely had bread. They didn't have in these yeshivas back then, they didn't have meat the whole year. So twice a year they had chicken. And Arab Arab Yom Kippur and Ampurim. Yep. Well, listen, you know, why we should be able to still keep that Edelkeit that Rav Gershon had, that spirit, uh, look, as my father used to say, every single one of his children either became either is Rosh Hashiva or married to a Rosh Hashiva. So, of his seven children, and Nebuch, and again, of course, one who died in his own lifetime, they were all outstanding we'll catch again next time. Take care, everybody. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.